Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and best practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, whoever you are. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Kinetic Enterprise, and we've got a really, really important topic for you today. I'm going to ask a question to our global audience. What happens when you bring together human experience data and operational data? Well, I'll tell you, you can respond with greater impact to address human needs and desires in the moment, and you can identify opportunities to improve specific processes and or functional areas. I have a panel of three Deloitte transformation specialists today, and they're going to share their focused insights, and that's important, on how ERP solutions integrated with our topic experience management platform can work in unison to elevate the human experience, generate efficiencies every company is thriving on efficiencies if they're going to keep going after the pandemic today. That's really important. Drive growth. Who doesn't want that? And support, of course, built to evolve kinetic enterprise capabilities. We're going to get so much information from them. Let me just tell you a little bit. They're going to share how global leaders are using experience management solutions to boost their brands. They're also using them to increase customer profitability, enhance the workforce experience, which is so critical right now, build a high-level digital boardroom view of the business from the front office all the way to the back office, plan, develop, and launch new product services and digital capabilities based on that experience data, and ultimately transform the what and why insights into top line and bottom line value. That's enough reason to stick around for the next hour because we've got some really good information here for you today. So my special guests today are Steve Hibbard, Raquel Pinillos, and James Sharp. They're going to explore the Kinetic Enterprise, adding enterprise value with experience management. I am Bonnie D. Graham, happy to be here. Shout out to Malia Aguilar and Carla Neal and Helen Tomas at Deloitte for sponsoring the series. And now it's my great pleasure to ask each of my panelists to please introduce themselves. Steve Hibbard, you're up first. So please, why don't you take about two minutes to tell us what you do, what your areas of insight are at Deloitte, and a little bit about what this topic means to you. Welcome, Steve Hibbard. Great, Bonnie, and thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me here. So, yeah, Steve Hibbert. Uh, I'm a partner <clears throat> within Deloitte in the London office, uh, and I look after the SAP capability, um, both here in the UK and then working on the European leadership team as well. Um, so, yeah, the focus has uh, always been SAP for the last 25 years. Um, and as far as the focus to today, you know, so as well as a history of enterprise experience uh, and you know, the ECCs and the S4s, uh, it's really now how we extend that and bring in some of the conflicts knowledge as well. So looking at programs and initiatives that really bring the two together. So uh, really looking forward to, to the next hour. Thank you very much, Steve. Welcome. And Steve, how important is our topic today, experience management? What is it at? Can you just give me a brief definition? And I'll ask the other panelists the same. What does it mean? Well, I think if you, if you look at two areas and, you know, if, if we start, my focus is very much around operational, historically, operational data, you know, and the big enterprise programs have been striving around the whole systems of record, getting that single view of the truth. Um, Extending that and bringing in 
wider experience knowledge so be it sentiment data from the markets you know around uh, experiences of your products or your processes or your brand uh, and really be able to integrate that back in with a lot of the operational data that we get um, in existing sap systems um, is absolutely fundamental and, you know and i think uh, particularly in the current climate uh, there's a whole load of disruption which we'll talk about um, being able to get that extra third dimension of data uh, into your organization and then to be able to act upon it is, is fundamental. Thank you very much, Steve. Great introduction. And now let's go one seat around the table to Raquel Pinillos. Welcome, Raquel. Hope you're well. And please give us a little background on what you do and what does this topic mean to you, Raquel? Uh, thank you, Bonnie. Um, I'm Raquel Pinillos and I lead the customer experience practice at Deloitte Digital in Spain, where I'm a director. I've been working the last 20 years on sales and marketing uh, projects and probably the last seven to eight years more specifically around uh, customer experience management. Um, um, I've been lucky enough to really uh, to be in the right position to see the rise of, of customer uh, experience management in the businesses. And as such, I have been uh, able to participate in some uh, in very interesting customer uh, centricity projects to really transform companies to become more uh, customer centric. Thank you, Raquel. What's your definition of experience management? Well, for me, experience management is really a new discipline within the companies. And I say new, uh, although it started already almost 10 years ago. And what it really does, it's put together everything that needs to be done in order to change the way or to give the company the capacity to change how they behave based on how customers are experiencing their customers or employing our employees are experiencing uh, their relationship with the brand. So really being able to have the right data, to be able to gather the right insights and so that the company changes the way they are interacting with customers and employees. Thank you very much. I'm glad you mentioned customers and employees. Everybody's important. Thank you, Raquel. Welcome to the show. And let's move one more seat around the table to James Sharp. And anybody's looking for him, his last name has an E on the end, S-H-A-R-P-E. James, please introduce yourself and tell me what you think about experience management. What's your definition? Well, hi, Bonnie, and uh, thanks for the invite on the show. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit about me. I have been... Uh, uh, in this industry now for about 22 years, uh, mostly in digital. And in fact, I work for Deloitte Digital now. I, I've been working to develop better customer outcomes through a whole range of customer experience technologies. In the beginning, it was content management, then into commerce, through into sales and service, and now more recently, experience management. Experience management for me really is an opportunity for, for businesses to act by really understanding the needs of their uh, colleagues and customers, and they can do that um, in the moment uh, and make corrective course changes to to how they respond to the needs of customer and colleague, or they can do that more strategically and um, find themselves in markets that they hadn't seen before or close down the experience gap that uh, uh, often exists between what a business thinks about uh, the experience they provide in and actually the business uh, the experience that's been received by an employer or customer and right now in, the, in this challenging you know very human crisis mm -hmm. i think there's opportunities for for businesses to respond to the crisis recover through it and thrive beyond it 
Um, so I'm very excited about this category. Thank you very much, James. Thank you to everyone for that. I think it's it's all the more important because of where we are now in the global pandemic, but I appreciate especially what James just said, the perception of what companies do and how what their intention is versus the perception that is received by customers, by employees, by the market in general. Very, very important. Thank you all for your definitions and a pleasure to have you on. Steve Hibbard, you're going to be up first. Now, this is the part of the show where we have asked each panelist to send us a quote from a movie, a song, a book, something interesting that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic on the surface. And I'm going to ask each of them to tell us in their own words here on the air. We're going to hear how they think and what they think about the quotes and how they pick the quotes. They're going to relate the quote to the topic. So let's start off with Steve, who has sent us a quote from C.S. Lewis. We give a little background here, Steve, before I read the quote. C.S. Lewis, and I quiz Steve if he knew the middle name of C.S. and it's Staples, Clive Staples Lewis. 1898 to 1963, a British writer and lay theologian. And I'm just going to say that he wrote about 30 books, even more, that have been translated into more than 30 languages and sold millions of copies. And the books that make up the Chronicles of Narnia, I can hear everybody in the audience say, I thought I knew who C.S. Lewis was. Yes, have sold the most and been popularized on stage, TV, radio, and cinema. He has a lot of other books as well. Here's the quote. Listen up, everybody. This is memorable. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. <laughs> Steve, I've never heard this one before. Help me out. How does this relate do to experience management? Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> yeah. and, and I do love it. I think, you know, it is... Uh... I think the extract, I mean, it comes from a longer quote and you know, I'm, I'm slightly taking it out of its original context, but, you know, I just really love the image it conjures up in the mind, you know, to, you know, an egg potentially flying, but, you know, and, and also like the stark absurdity of it. And, and it's really highlighting for me, the inevitability of change. But, and, you know, and as we come through and we have a lot of discussion today, that whole change is inevitable. You know, we, you, you can't, you need to take the steps and you, you can't run before you can walk you know, and, and bring it back to today. I think you know, we'll talk quite a lot about kind of value-based incremental transformation, you know, sort of taking bite-sized chunks. You know, and, and we've talked already in the last few minutes around you know, uh, making sure you're getting the right culture in the organization to be able to take experience data and actually do something and act on it. And, and that's kind of the magic that's there. So uh, the underlying is that change is inevitable. And uh, if you're an egg, you can't fly. <laughs> I think there's an Einstein quote, something about fish flying. I'm, I don't remember it very well. We try not to quote Einstein on our shows. Thank you very much, Steve. That was humorous and very thought provoking. I appreciate your selecting that quote. Thank you very much. Let's move around to Raquel Pinillos. And if anybody's looking for her, her last name is spelled P-I-N-I-L-L-O-S, just so you all know. And she has selected a very interesting quote from Gilbert K. Chesterton. And he was an English writer, 1874 to 1936, a philosopher, a lay theologian, a, and a literary and art critic. He's been referred to as the Prince of Paradox. He wrote 80 books, ju just, he just dabbled, of course, 80 books, hundreds of poems, 200 short stories, 4,000 essays, and a few 
a few a few plays. I'm looking here, and he created the fictional priest detective Father Brown. Just give a quite quick uh, note here, Raquel. There's a very humorous quote. He says Chesterson was a large man, six foot four inches tall, and weighed almost 300 pounds. His girth gave rise to an anecdote during World War One when the lady in London asked why he was not out at the front, meaning the front lines of the war. And he said, "If you go round to the side, you'll see that I am." So that was <laughs> that was actually adorable. I had to I had to add that, Raquel. Here's a quote Raquel selected. Mr. McCabe thinks that I am not serious, but only funny, because Mr. McCabe thinks that funny is the opposite of serious. Funny is the opposite of not funny and of nothing else. And this was a reference to Joseph Martin McCabe, an English writer and speaker on free thought. Raquel, unravel this for us, please. I love the quote. Yeah, well, uh, the truth is I, I have not read any of the books from uh, from uh, Chesterton, but I've always had this sentence or this quote uh, first with my first boss uh, 20 years ago, and I always kept it with me because um, I do think that there are a lot of people that mix or confuse funny with serious. And I think taking the fun out of most of the things that we do is a terrible mistake. So even just in my working life or when you consider employee experience or customer experience, really being able to deliver uh, enjoyable experiences, the fun part has a lot to do with that. So if we were really able to deliver those uh, fun experiences, we would have much uh, loyal customers and employees. Of course, that is difficult and many times uh, uh, um, companies don't dare to to be funny because they think then they will be um, um, regarded as not serious. But I always say funny is not the opposite of serious. So I, I do think that is something that if, if everyone took it into account, we would enjoy many much more what we do on our day-to-day basis. That is fascinating, Raquel. I, I've never heard of Chester, Chesterton, and I appreciate the quote you picked, and it's a very interesting point. Not funny is just not funny. It has nothing to do with serious. I think we all need to, to chew on that for a while. Thank you very much. These are great quotes today. Let me move on to James Sharp, and he has picked a quote from Charles Dickens, actually the opening to A Tale of Two Cities, but let me give a little background. Charles John Huffam Dickens, FRSA, 1812 to 1870, English writer and social critic. He created some of the world's best-known fictional characters and is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era. His work enjoys unprecedented popularity during his lifetime and continues today. He's considered a literary genius. His novella in 1843, A Christmas Carol, remains popular. Oliver Twist and Great Expectations are others. And in 1859, he wrote A Tale of Two Cities set in London and Paris, his best known work of historical fiction. And the quote James has selected is the opening of A Tale of Two Cities. Here it is. Everybody knows. I I think around the world, James, everybody is going to say this with me. So I'll say it slowly with great drama. Okay, here we go. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. How was that for a dramatic reading? I think you're a pro. It's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead, James. Talk to me. How'd you pick this one? Well, it, it just sort of struck me. We're in a in a very strange um, moment in time. Um, and when I thought back about um, uh, the book and, and particularly Dickens, and I'm, I'm glad you, you, you spoke about Dickens as a change proponent, he, he worked hard in his time to 
change the lives of ordinary people um, um, through, through the work that he did and, uh, and the, the, the writing that he made. But this particular line, I think, is really important in terms of um, the change that we will see. And the story is set um, in and around the French Revolution. And I believe right now there is going to be a revolution. Um, and we've already given it a name, I suppose, the new normal, and we're expecting great change to happen. And in thinking of how business needs to respond to that, you know, and particularly in the topic we're going to talk about today, um, being ready to listen um, and be in front of that revolution rather than being um, behind that and, and potentially losing your position um, struck me as a, as a, as a, good, a good quote for today. Uh, and I hope those that survive the revolution don't end up with the, the mucky nonsense of um, losing one's head, um, mm-hmm. as somebody did in uh, the French aristocracy. But uh, yeah, it, it just kind of motivated me for the, for the topic today. Very interesting. I'm going to relate that to the kinetic enterprise, uh, James, because if you think about companies that have already invested in digital transformation and all of the things that the kinetic enterprise represents, you can think that it could be the best of times because they're agile. They can pivot, they can prioritize, reprioritize, retool, redistribute their people, their resources and come out of this Maybe they already are with something to contribute to make this not the worst of times. So I'm just pontificating a little bit here, but I think this is a good link from your quote to what we're talking about here on Deloitte, the kinetic enterprise built to evolve. So thank you very much, everyone. Great quotes. Now it's the time in the show when I have asked my guests in advance to send me four discussion statements that will provoke a good discussion around the table. And I'm going to start with statement number one from Steve Hebbard. Steve, why don't you take about two minutes to explain it, and then I will invite your co-panelists, Raquel and James, to comment, and then I'll pick a statement from Raquel, the same thing around the table, one from James, and then we'll go back and do more from each of you. So let's see how much we can cover. Statement number one from Steve Hibbard. Viewing experience X data, and X is in quotes, viewing experience X data through an operational O or enterprise lens opens the door to new untapped benefits and provides greater intelligence to predict. Steve, tell us more, please. Yeah, thanks. And, and I think it builds on a lot of the discussion we've already had, you know, through some of the intros um, and, and the quotes. So, yeah, as, historically, there is been a load of large enterprise programs. And, and as we've been saying, they focus really on operational data yeah, getting that view of the truth, getting some cross-geography clarity on their organization, be it financial data, be it stock control, uh, be it orders and customers and what employees are up to. Um, so, so there's been a load of investment uh, there. And then you know, there's also been kind of separate market research initiatives, you know, really focusing on customer satisfaction, market sentiment, you know, sentiment data, you know, and brands. But these projects are usually, they've had different buyers, they've had different budgets, and, and they're, they're, they've never really been historically integrated. Um, now, kind of as we're moving forward now, and we're seeing the new solutions coming to the table, and, and you know, this opportunity now to fuse that experience data with the operational facts um, really does open up an, a host of opportunities, particularly when you're looking at it where I have from a, from an enterprise experience and, and, and sort of driving it that way. Um, you know, 
natural thoughts here come around a lot of the various planning scenarios, you know, be it across the supply chain, looking at inventory levels across regions, looking at some of the big capex decisions a company might be making around some of the go-to-market initiatives, uh, and kind of adding that third dimension of market sentiment um, into a load of the the what data, the operational trend analysis data that you're getting from your systems, can, can really help to kind of predict the forecasts, um, be, a, be a product forecast or helping to galvanize some of the CapEx stuff. Um, and and you know, when we've looked, we've also revisited some of kind of previous experience data programs, you know, sort of which were, were done in isolation uh, to enterprise. Uh, and, you know, and then when you, when you look at them again and reassess them, uh, some some of the original benefits around, as you say, satisfaction of brand and understanding, they're all there. But when you look at them through an enterprise lens, you know, suddenly you're sort of seeing um, you know, better capex decisions, um, you know, sort of quicker route to market for stock, and, and it's a completely different set of kind of almost business cases KPIs that you can start to play um, when you start to bring the two together. Um, there is there is the however, and I think it comes back to a bit of the kinetic enterprise that. Um, you, to, to be able to realize these benefits, you really actually do need to do something with the data. Um, so you know, where we've got organizations that can kind of embrace that kinetic enterprise philosophy around building an organization to evolve and creating that work culture in the, in the, in the workforce to kind of act. So once this data is coming through to actually have new business processes within your company to be able to realize and do something with the data and that's where you start to realize the benefits so um yeah it's it's really driving out a new world thank you very much steve let's ask raquel pinios to join us raquel let's have some thoughts from you about what steve just shared please yeah well completely aligned with what steve was saying um i do think that in the past uh i mean everyone knows about the importance of of the customers but the data about how they were doing was just, you know, remained as a, as a customer satisfaction reports. Now, the truth is that uh, since the customer has become so important, it's companies that are really integrating not only the operational data that tell us how customers behaved, but also the how the customers are viewing their experience with the uh, with the company and that provides with a whole new world of knowledge about the customer of how they interpreted their interaction that will help us predict what they will do next so if we really manage to get both of those together that will really provide the intelligence the companies need to really be uh predictive uh, uh and, and and act even before the customer needs what they really wanted. So that, that will really give an advantage to the companies that are able to do that uh, uh, in an agile way. Thank you very much. Let's get James Sharp in here. James, talk to us, please. Yes, uh, again, echoing what's just been said, but just adding a, a bit more in terms of the excitement around taking you know, millions of human touch points across any channel. Um, and combining that with you know the amazing technology that we get now from the SAP toolset, you know particularly HANA, where we have old data that's uh, in memory and quick to access, you know, built in a way that we can interrogate it in you know, ways that we need to you know find out what's going on in our business, and bringing that together, X and O together, um, helping us find root cause, what's going on in our business, and why is it happening. And that second set of instrumentation um, 
gives us a real opportunity to, to look where value really lies in our organizations. So, you know, for example, you know, you, you would see in OData perhaps one set of truths and you may make decisions on how you're going to perform and, and, and change your business based on that. But without getting that human understanding, those decisions often uh, may be incorrect. And, you know, we've seen in the relationships with our clients, um, there's, there's, there's one example that sort of sprung to mind as, as, as people were speaking. Um, you know, a customer centricity program where we were listening to the, you know, the voice of their customer who were telling us very specific things about the experiences they were receiving was not the understanding that that business had internally who thought uh, we were delivering a great um, customer experience. And the delta there was, um, you know, an enterprise problem. There was a warehouse management problem and there was a supply chain problem that you just simply couldn't see from OData. So coupling that X and O together gives the boardroom much more valuable insight in terms of the, the health of, of their business and where they need to go. And, you know, it's super exciting times. Thank you very much, Steve Hibbard. You started a really good conversation. I'm going to move on to something from Raquel Panios. Raquel, I'm looking at your statement number one. This is really a very interesting way of, of extending what we've been talking about so far. You say, we don't talk any longer about B2B, which we know is business to business, or B2C, business to consumer relationships. It's just human to human or person to person. This means taking emotions into account in every customer interaction. Operational data tells us how people behaved. But the why has more to do with how we made them feel. And that's a paraphrase of a Maya Angelou quote. So, Raquel, please tell us more. I love this. Yeah, well, um, uh, the truth is um, for customer, everyone knows customer loyalty today is key. So everyone is uh, very focused on uh, keeping their customers. Now, we must understand that even this was not uh, stated as truth in the past, we are not rational animals. We are emotional animals. That means that we take most of our decisions, some neuroscientists say up to 90% of our decisions based on our emotions, right? So this is why we need as companies to understand how we are making, not only how we are making uh, our clients and our, our employees feel, but the expectations they are coming to us in the beginning so that we can adapt how we interact with them, what services we provide, how we communicate, how, how we do what we do, because we do them, we do it for them. So, and, and this crisis, for example, really gives us or gives many companies the chance to demonstrate that humanity that customers are demanding from our uh, companies. So really, in order to win on loyalty, companies will need to demonstrate that they have human feelings too. And at the end, it's because companies are made out of persons. So it's not the window or the brick that relates to our, to our customer. It's every person uh, that is in our company who does the transaction with our customers. So if we are able to understand how we are making them feel at every touch point, and that is what what is difficult, being able to control and design and, and be sure that we, as uh, uh, James mentioned before, not only that we designed the right experience, 
but that we are able to deliver on the right experience, that is what will make us successful. Now, the delivery on the right experience, that has a lot to do with feelings. And really understanding those feelings needs uh, the companies to be able to put together not only how they behaved with the operational data, but also the experience data that tell us why people are behaving that way. And they are behaving that way because they felt something and we each feel something different. So it's really a complex ecosystem, uh, but it, but now today with the technologies that we have, uh, uh, we're able to, to manage those too. So. Thank you very much. So I guess we're going to have to get used to replacing B2B and B2C with H2H and P2P. Thank you very much, Raquel. That's, that's how we have to talk about it. I appreciate that. James Sharp, please join us. Thoughts on what Raquel just shared with us. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the core to that uh, commentary there was uh, the human connection and how much that matters these days. Um, and um, I think if, if businesses recognize um, from the outset that you know, great experiences build those human connections and those strong connections create loyalty in your, your, your customer base and your colleague base, and that lo- loyalty you know, ultimately drives great business results. Um, I, I'm minded uh, to, to uh, mention a, a piece of research we did last year around emotion-driven engagement, you know, the, the topic there that uh, Raquel uh, spoke so well to. And, you know, it was some striking evidence in that um, uh, that, that came out, and I would direct people to Deloitte.com uh, to, to find this report. Um, one, of the, one of the key things that struck me was 62% of customers feel they have a relationship with a brand, you know, and that's a, that's a really emotive word to use, right? I have a relationship with a brand and they're expecting um, the brand to listen um, and to evolve with them as their, as their needs and they want to change over time. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, an organization that's focused on the human quality and the human connection will survive, I think. Thank you very much. I agree. Uh, let's go around the table to Steve Hibbert. Steve, please join us. Love to get your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fundamentally important. I think the discussions have you know, been a lot around customer uh, and hu- customer human feelings, you know, and you know, talked earlier as well around employee and, and the employee feelings. Um, and so, yeah, capturing the feelings of both uh, groups there is, is fundamental um, to how a, uh, an organisation is seen to respond uh, and, to, and to evolve to, to, re- to respond to those. And I think that, that is the magic source. It's... It's great to understand that um, each have feelings for a product or an organization or an identity. Um, and then it's just being able to make sure that you can actually act on that and do something with it. You know, so you know, if, if, if you're seeing that um, uh, sentiment data coming in against product and product development, you know, making sure through the products and the, and the solutions that we have, you're, you're making full use of that and getting into the whole R&D process and then sort of understanding, you know, what routes to market, what channels are sort of working more effectively uh, and how products can be responding to those. Um, so I think it comes back again to the doing something, acting. And I think that is the, the underlining thing here on the Kinetic Enterprise. 
Thank you very much, all. Raquel, thank you for that great statement that provoked a really good conversation. James Sharp, I'm looking at what you sent, and I'm going to move on to statement number two. I think this is interesting, and I don't believe we've touched on this yet. You say, kinetic enterprise unlocks technical debt with its core principle of built to evolve. Experiential data coupled with operational data unlocks organizational and business debt the root cause of technical debt. I'm going to stop there, James, and ask you to expand that for us, please. Sure thing, yeah. I, I, I really like this about the approach to kinetic enterprise. We, we thought long and hard um, in our SAP community inside um, Deloitte um, on how you create as much value, um, as much agility and capability inside um, an SAP ecosystem and and we have the four core principles that sort of sit inside that um you know built on an intelligent um stack of products that are that are connected um through um through api so they're ready to 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 change and evolve they're built with scale um on on hyperscalers like amazon and aws uh, azure and the like it's part of an ecosystem of, of um, applications um, and data, um, and, and that's very important in terms of you know fitting into into every organization. Uh, and then, uh, lastly, and most importantly, it's built with a clean core application with edge innovation. So that allows you to move very quickly um, when market dynamics change in front of you. So that's the first part, you know, that's what delivers the, the promise, I guess, of the reduction of technical debt. Uh, and that, that is, if you looked at it, you know, purely from, uh, you know, a tooling and a technology point of view. But my argument here is, if we brought experiential data in and we understood the human connection uh, with, with better capability and we needed to act, we can reduce organizational and business debt, organizational debt perhaps being the cost to sell and business debt perhaps being the cost of not selling, right? Two really interesting dynamics that, uh, um, you know, are pressures on, 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 you know, every boardroom. And what we have seen in the past, where there has been a tactical problem in, in, in um, the cost of selling, so we try to reduce the cost uh, to sell, uh, and we look at efficiencies and we, we put some technology into business to help with that. Or we maybe are not selling as effectively as we could be. So again, we have typically made tactical decisions and we've put some technology and software in place to you know, improve uh, you know, basket value or, or, or reduce abandonment, perhaps. Those decisions often create technical debt in, in, in an organization because they were, they were bought without understanding the root cause. So I think if you bring X and O data together, you get to the true root cause and you make better spending decisions. And of course, organizational business debt is the root cause of technical debt because if you didn't have that insight, you would make those choices and you could make poor choices, increasing the technical burden in your organization. Thank you, James. Let's move around the table and see what your co-panelists have to say. Steve Hibbert, please join us. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very interesting topic and I think kind of spans quite a few uh, sort of discussion points. And it's, you know, I, I look at it from the 
um, when you're talking about build to evolve within the kinetic enterprise, you know, as you say, uh, <clears throat> we've talked about the pillars uh, of the technology, but it's really replicating that built to evolve within the organization itself to be able to cope with with this level of change. Um, and, you know, seen in various organizations when they're really trying to drive this this level of transformation and change, um, not actually having the the organizational structure to cope with some of the thought processes of the fast fail yeah, and, and that kind of setup. But when, when you're trying to drive out some of these uh, key uh, innovation initiatives that you know, sort of we'd get here from the experienced data. Um, and so as much focus really needs to be driven into, well, actually the organization is going to be taking on this piece of work and really trying to drive out this benefit that we're talking about it needs to be structured and, and the culture needs to be, reviewed and addressed to make sure you know they've got the wherewithal and the almost the autonomy to be able to go out and make some of these changes uh, and and start to reap the benefits uh, without being hampered by a, a more structured organization i think it's pretty fundamental thank you very much raquel Panios. please join us what are your thoughts well just building on that it's true that that really the capacity that we're trying to to help companies with is uh, to be able to listen but at the end to act, which is what is really important. And that means really being able to evolve uh, with the company towards what the customers and employees are demanding. And that acting part, as Steve was saying, is probably much more difficult ju than just realizing what needs to be done, because afterwards it needs to be done and, and, and executed and implemented. And that um, sometimes means defying some uh, very um, uh, set or fixed beliefs within the company, both cultural beliefs, but also organizational structures. So there's a lot of effort that needs to be put in the organization to really have a, a transformational initiative that will, uh, that will uh, manage or that will help the company go from where they stand right now to really be a, a, a company that's able to evolve. You know, so it's it's really something. It's an effort that's a company-wide effort, and that uh, means uh, bringing down barriers. Uh, um, a lot of them invisible barriers that are within the company to be able to do that. Thank you, Raquel. James, good conversation around the table. We have time for, I think, a couple more topics. Steve Hibbert, I'm going back to you. I'm looking at your statement number two. You told me before the show, previous Kinetic Enterprise podcasts have referenced shifting global trade dynamics, geopolitical implications demanding businesses to have the ability to pivot as the global theater evolves. And you add COVID-19 has not detracted from this view, but massively reinforced it. Steve, why don't you just take about a minute and a half. I want to make sure we get everybody's comments on this because it's very interesting. Go ahead, Steve Hibbard. Sure. You know, I could have made the sentence longer for you to get your tongue around that one. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think the main headline here is that um, you know, COVID-19 pandemic is, it's another good example of disruption and that disruption mm -hmm. is the new normal. So, and that organizations need to contend with disruption forevermore. So yeah, there are other disruptions. There's kind of Brexit close to home here. There's the growth of China and India markets. There's the ongoing digital transformation of entire industry sectors, you know, and the resulting new entrants. So and none of those have gone away any, anywhere. Um, either so they're, they're all still there and so I think 
we should be looking at COVID and we shouldn't see it as a, a kind of a new phenomenon that requires ripping up the rule books, um, but really as another example you know, of disruption, which reinforces the build to evolve philosophy we've been talking about today you know, in the kinetic enterprise and actually highlights the need to continue that accelerated action. So, you know, I think uh, um, to, to, to cut it short, you know, the kinetic enterprise has those pillars, the, the, the whole um, experience data absolutely fits in with that inclusiveness and the data being the new oil in the system um, and organizations really need to embrace that fourth pillar here to, to make sure we're responding to what is actually another example of disruption, not something brand new. Thank you. Very interesting point there. Raquel, why don't you very briefly comment and then I'll get James in. And then Raquel, I have another statement from you I want to read. I think we'll have time for this. So comments on what Steve just shared. Raquel, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think this COVID-19 crisis has um, has had a lot of uh, implications and changes uh, uh, for the economy and for businesses and also for consumers. So uh, as, as I spoke before, our expectations our consumers have also changed and that is why companies need to change how they interact with us too so uh, we never before this crisis would have thought we would still feel unsafe going out in the street or going out to buy in a, uh, in a in a store uh, and 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 it has demonstrated also the need that we have to connect and how much we need to talk to each other so uh, uh, the companies really need to understand what the customer's expectations are at every time so that they can adapt to that too, right? So I, I do think that if when the, if companies are able to demonstrate through this crisis how close they are to the customers, they will create a very strong loyalty bond with that customer. So it is truly, it's a hard, very hard time, but it's also an opportunity for those companies that really get it clear. Thank you. Let's get James in here. James, thoughts? Yeah, I, I think um, I might try and put this into sort of a viewpoint of industry at the moment, um, just just to finish it off. I, I was just thinking about, you know, this this disruption is is massive, um, as we as we all can see, and it, it got me thinking about um, you know previous you know big moments of disruption, you know, perhaps like the financial crisis um, ten years ago, and I was thinking, you know. Uh, Banks in you know in, in financial services industry you know they came out of that um, experience as the bad boys right and their brand was you know critically damaged in some instances but right now in this crisis with experience management and listening to their customers connecting that O data which will you know re reveal the changes in the way that transactions are happening inside their their customers. Um, uh, accounts and, and products that they're using and listening to the needs of the customer, they could come out of this as heroes, right? That would be an interesting topic. Another area that sort of struck me was, you know, aviation, which is, you know, critically damaged now. Um, I saw a study uh, yesterday in the UK that the amount of carbon in the atmosphere has gone down 17% since this, mm. uh, this crisis. And I think humans are now listening to that and will be saying to themselves, do we need to fly in the way we did previously? And I, I'm certainly thinking about business travel in future and whether it's entirely necessary. So, you know, for, for that industry, experience management becomes an interesting topic because they're going to have to refactor their aircraft uh, potentially in the new normal, right? And, you know, that planning isn't easy. So you could use experience management to do that. 
So disruption, as, as Steve said, is always there. Um, I, think, I think this is one of the biggest disruptive moments we've had. And if we don't listen to um, humans, you know, in the connections that we have, business will not thrive afterwards, is, is my general opinion. Thank you all. Steve Hibbard, great topic. I'm moving to statement number four from Raquel Pinillos's information. She sent me before the show. Raquel, I like number four. I'm going to read a little bit and ask you to expand it. This is an important way. This might be the wrap up to our conversation and we'll get time to go around the table once. So you say it does not matter whether the experience management effort started as a bottom up or a top down initiative. The end result should always be the same. All levels in the organization need to be aligned and involved. We need to make all employees in our firms understand how important managing customer experiences are and the role each of them plays in being successful at it. Raquel, why don't you take about two minutes, expand us, then we'll get a quick comment from James and Steve. Go ahead, Raquel. Yes, well, uh, the truth is that at the beginning, some uh, five, seven, ten years ago, when we were uh, speaking about customer experience, it seemed this was an objective or, uh, or, or the responsibility from some customer department or marketing department. Uh, but now it has been taken by leading organizations really as, a, uh, as an effort-wide, organization-wide effort. And why is that? It's because it's so complex to really uh, manage the customer because there are every time more uh, interaction moments, there are more channels of contact. Uh, we are there for, the, for our customers 24-7. It's it, all, of, all of the company must understand that they all play a role in delivering that experience, no matter if they're in the front line or in, or, or in, the, or in the back office. So really making it clear that this is the responsibility of all levels and all uh, departments in the organization. That's the only way we will succeed in this. Why? Because it, it will, you know, after listening to the customers and generating generating insights, we will be able to act both in an individual, but also in a very aggregated level. And for that, there are some decisions around investments, process changing, structural, organizational changes. And all of those, if uh, the C-level is not aligned and does not really prioritize uh, the experience management, it is impossible that they will give the green light to those changes. So it really needs to be an effort that the frontline and the, the very low level in the organizations understand, and we need to put that into their words so that they are able to see how they can affect the customer experience in their own little area of, of um, where they do uh, their task, but also in the middle and higher levels, because they are the ones that are going to give the direct direction and are going to give the priorities when it comes to uh, investing. And of course, nowadays, when the budgets are being cut, being able to, to be sure that you have uh, some funding for, for changing all of this uh, uh, customer experience is very, very important. Thank you, Raquel. Very important information. Let's quickly go around the table. We have just a little bit before we're going to go to our final prediction segment. James Sharp, please join us. Thoughts on what Raquel shared. Agree or disagree? No, I absolutely agree. And uh, we see uh, the most successful businesses understanding that challenge. You know, it, it's, a, it's an organizational wide, it's a cultural, culturally wide um, topic. It's an authentic something. You know, it's a, it's a belief and an encouragement that, uh, that exists in business. The, the practical um, outputs of it, which I just want to kind of raise up from uh, uh, Raquel's comments there, 
is, you know, these insights um, are given to the right person at the right time so they can act. And I think the, the big challenge for, 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 for business is allowing that freedom and that responsibility to exist um, in their business. Um, and, and, that's, and that's the challenge, really. Um, you know, the technology, and even the technology is almost easy. Um, it's, it's, you know, getting the business ready to be obsessed about all things human. Um, and, and that's the, 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 the thing that keeps, I think, the, uh, the board awake at night is how do they get that into their organization over time. Thank you. Steve Hibbard, thoughts, please. Yeah, I mean, 2.1, just picking up on that, <clears throat> Raquel's CapEx point, you know, I think, you know, organizations are, are really keen to get on with some of these initiatives, but, you know, as they're coming out of perhaps responding into recover, um, their CapEx is are slashed and they're, you know, finding it very difficult to, to find the cash. So I think uh, a lot of these initiatives need to be very short, sharp, you know, um, rapid benefit realization, almost self-funding to, to, to that extent. Um, but from the, from the broader, once you can actually get and, and, and move these initiatives forward, uh, I agree with both um, discussions there that it's a, it's a bottom up and top down. You do, you know, in some organizations, we've seen that, that the, the guys on the ground and girls on the ground actually really wanting to make this happen, but getting hampered by, you know, that we talked about it earlier, the, there's sort of the fail fast mentality to just go out and do some experimentation and make things happen. And actually, if it doesn't work out fine, well, let's move on quickly. And, and to be able to push some of that mentality up up the chain in an organisation. So I think, uh, you know, this having the experienced data and the, and the data points um, to, to really help an organisation at all levels sort of recognise where they need to change to drive some of this uh, uh, build to evolve uh, modelling um, is, is fundamental. Thank you all. We're at the crystal ball predictions round of the show, and I'm just going to rephrase that today. I'm going to we'll start with you, Steve Hibbert, and then Raquel Pinios, and then James Sharp, and then we'll wrap up. I'm just going to ask you, where do you think this is all going in terms of the embracing of experience management, everything we've been talking about, the value of understanding there's more to life than operational data. You have to see what is happening beyond your good intentions at a leadership and management level. So, Steve Hibbard, let's look toward between now and let's say the end of 2020, unless you really want to go farther out than that. Once you take 60 seconds, that's all we have for each of you. So, Steve Hibbard, 60 seconds, where is this heading? Wow. Big question. So, so I think, you know, companies absolutely need to start doing some modeling um, on what some of those scenarios as we as we move into that kind of more recover phase. Um, and in, in my head, I can see a, a quadrant with two axes. One of those is productivity, operational data, really understanding um, as a company, will it reset to some of those pre-COVID norms? Will it embrace some kind of new normal as far as uh, production, execution and processes? Um, on the other axis, uh, which is the interesting one here, and it really focuses on society and lifestyle change. And again, with that range of, you know, will society and lifestyle and those attitudes revert to pre-COVID or do we see some new normal patterns emerging? And then when you look at those two together and then look at the quadrant, there are then a number of modelling scenarios that come out of that. Um, and, and then organisations really need to get to grips with, you know, as we start to come out and which scenarios are beginning to play out, uh, be able to drive and respond to those particular scenarios, depending on how you know, the productivity and, and the lifestyle uh, models are changing. So I see this data fundamentally feeding those models. 
Um, and then there's probably loads more disruption that we don't even know about <laughs> coming down. Thank well. you, Steve. I need to move on. We're looking at the clock here when it's racing. Thank you. Great insights on what's coming ahead. Raquel Pinillos, we'd love to see 60 seconds. Where is this all heading, Raquel? Well, I would say, as we've spoken, most or all all of the companies, uh, and we did a study for the Spanish market that 99 of the companies we interviewed stated that customer experience was very, or experience management was very important for them, and it was a strategic objective. Now, what I do think is that in the future, in the very short uh, future, uh, we will see two types of customers, those that are really able to 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 act on that and to really manage experience management at scale and those that still see it as standalone initiatives. And of course, it will be the first ones that will get the most benefit out of that. Thank you very much. And let's go to James Sharp. What do you want to add, James? Where is this all heading? Well, I'll try and keep it short. But uh, for me, I think um, in the new norm, um, the way that we buy and consume will will have changed. And I'm not certain our old habits will uh, come back in the, the ways they were. So, you know, customers and colleagues are going to expect more from the brands that they have relationships with. They're going to want more responsibility and they're going to want to uh, continue to, as I said, buy and consume in these new and interesting ways. So um, those businesses that aren't ready for that, I think will, will suffer. Uh, and where we have businesses with more maturity, um, mm-hmm. in experience management will, will, will thrive. And a study that we've actually uh, completed uh, this year was only 14% of the businesses that we sampled are actually mature enough to, um, to consider themselves, you know, human-first uh, organizations. So there's a great deal of opportunity to go after for, for business, um, but there's also, a, a, you know, a large amount of um, threat there. So um, I think that we need that wisdom. Thank you very much, all. Really appreciated this. I want to do a shout out again to the people behind the scenes who make the show possible. And those people are uh, those people are uh, Malia Aguilar and Carla Neil Slavin and Helen Tomas. And I see that Carla and Helen are tweeting, retweeting some of the tweets I've got. So we appreciate that very much. And thank you to our special panelists. We've been speaking today with Steve Hibbard. At Deloitte. We've been speaking with Raquel Pinillos at Deloitte, and we've been speaking with James Sharp at Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you all for listening. And if you listen to the live broadcast and you know someone who would appreciate this, would benefit from their words of wisdom, go to voiceamerica.com and in the search box put in the kinetic. K-I-N-E-T-I-C Enterprise and the podcast homepage will come up and you will see today's episode listed as live on May 22nd, 2020 and the listen on demand link will say coming soon in a couple of hours after this. It's now almost 10 a.m. East Coast in the U.S. It will say listen now and please send them to that link so they can appreciate the wisdom of my three panelists. Wishing everybody to stay safe, stay well, stay smart. Don't do anything risky. And I want to tell my engineer, Aaron Keller, at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Thank you, Aaron, for being there for us. We've got 30 seconds. I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone. And thanks all to our panelists. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. 
Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.